0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Hockey News on the E! podcast presented by BetMGM. I'm Jacob Stoller from the Hockey News alongside Justin Cohn from the Fort Wayne Journal-Gazette. And today we're going to talk about goalies, myself and grandpa. This guy's all eye test, I'm all numbers. Isn't that right, Justin?
1: I'm already being called grandpa, but yes, uh, you know, when you start bringing it's better up... better than an-
0: dad. It's better than daddy. That's when you I'll start say.
1: bringing up analytics, uh, I always kind of immediately go to this story of uh, where... I work uh, with a, a baseball writer who is about your age and it must have been around the time Jack Morris was going into the hall of fame. And if you tell me you don't know who Jack Morris is, I'm going to come bounding through the, the internet cable here. Uh, no comment. <laughs> so Jack Morris was uh, one of the greatest pitchers of all time. And so, it, but it was very controversial for a long time. Why wasn't he in the hall of fame? Why did it take forever? And I walk in and I'm like, finally he's going to get in the hall of fame. And Dylan is like, well, you know, Jack Morris, he ranks very poorly in fielding independent pitching, FIP. You know, FIP tells everybody, and I have no idea what he's talking about. Since then, I have called him FIP. And I just said, it was pretty clear to me that Dylan had never seen Jack Morris play. I saw Jack Morris play. And this is what I always kind of say on these things. If he looks like a Hall of Famer, feels like a Hall of Famer, he's a Hall of Famer. I don't care what the analytics tell me on that. So I'm sure as you're getting to, I will end up feeling like the old man in the room as you throw some analytics at me that make me feel guys that I think are great aren't all that good.
0: Yeah, um, sort of. So let's explain what Justin's alluding to and uh, explain where the, the sas comes from. So basically what I thought would be neat is, so you see what we put on the screen there, if you're watching, if not, I'll explain it. We wrote down all the, the league average save percentages of each year. So, for example, in 2023, the league average save percentage was 0.905. But in 2021, it was 0.909. And then in 2017, it was 0.902. What does this mean? It's, you know, there are little decimals. It's incremental. Well, it's interesting because you look at raw save percentage and you look at how a guy does. Let's say a, a goalie did post a 910 save percentage or even, let's say, 908. In some years, like, you know, 2018 or, or 20, 21 that's average but in other years that's actually above average and actually further to that well above average and why is that important because if you look at things from a historical lens if we say who are the best goaltenders in ECHL over the last five years it's challenging for a couple of reasons and we talk about this all the time Justin there is defense involved there's the amount of shots they're getting and all those things there's something called goal saved above average and I'm not sure if Listeners have heard of this. Some may be somewhat familiar with goals saved above expected, which is a pretty popular NHL one. But what goals goals saved above average does is it basically aims to show how much better how many goals um, a goaltender saved above leave aver- league average. So if a goalie is a positive GSAA, that means they're performing better than a league average goalie would in the same situation. And then a negative number means the opposite. So what that really does is let's say we have a bunch of guys with a 9:30 save percentage. Um, Some guys may have played 30 games. Some may have played 40. Some may have played 10. The volume of shots come in there and it really tries to even out the playing field and show who's really doing the best or much better than an average goalie. Am I, am I, have I lost you yet, Justin? You're getting there, but not quite. What is there any part that you want more clarification on?
1: No, uh, I guess one thing is how does this, this account, especially in the minor leagues, for a player who's not with, not in the league for a, a great amount of time? You know, if he's there for 10 games versus the guy that's there for 50 games, I guess that's one of the first things that
0: jumps It's a great out. question. That's a perfect segue. That actually was very organic, too. So what I also looked at is goals saved above average per game. So yeah. I did a minimum of around 10 games. And the reason I did that, and we'll get to – we're going to go through each season. Justin's going to say the guys that he remembers or thinks were the best goaltenders um, of that year. And they very well could have been. I'm just going to show um, which goaltenders were the best when it comes to goals saved above average um, per game. And, you know, we have the state percentage there as well, just to see kind of the difference and who performed in that. Now, what I will say, Justin, is the one thing I learned from the last 24 hours about doing this is that I don't know if this is necessarily. A fair way to say who the best goaltender is but what I found is what this really did is it really it brought out some guys from the weeds where they had a maybe not the best save percentage but if you look at it at either per game or just goal saved above average it's very clear that either they were getting pelted with shots and the amount of saves they're doing is impressive or that you know their raw save percentage doesn't tell the whole story that makes any sense
1: yeah you see that kind of speaks to me a little bit because I can remember last season talking about a couple guys in particular, if you were Hunter Jones in, uh, excuse me, Iowa, or one of the guys down in Norfolk, two teams that were, you know, catastrophically bad defensively for much of the year. But I liked both those goalies at times. We made them prospects of the week. Uh, I would imagine that your analytics would tell me, okay, a little bit more about how that guy is playing uh, because his goals against average was going to look poor because he was on a poor defensive team.
0: Absolutely. And for all those fact checkers out there, I'll give you the formula. So basically it's, and I am, I did not do well in math in high school, but I followed it to a T and uh, bear with me. So goals saved above average equals shots against times bracket one minus league save percentage close bracket minus goals allowed. I don't know if that gave any bit of clarity, but if you're saying I made these numbers up, I did not. All right, let's get to the first one before we show it. Um, just to teed up let's go to the 2016-17 season right justin who are from your recollection or your analysis that you've undertook the best goalies from the year
1: so i i went back and i just kind of picked out a couple names from each year sort of a mix of statistics versus what i remembered them doing that season um so part memory part what the stat book is telling me with just the basic stats so the two guys I picked out, and I can give you their stats real quick, were Jake Patterson of Toledo, who was 34-13-2 with a 228 goals against, a nine eighteen save percentage, and seven shutouts. And the other was Riley Gill of Allen. He was 32-7-2 and with a 222 goals against, a nine thirty five save percentage, and he also had seven shutouts that year. So Jake Patterson, Riley Gill were the two I picked out from that year.
0: All right, Carl. let's put it up. So Riley Gill was saved a lot of goals uh, saved above average by a landslide for goals saved above average. So if you're listening, Riley Gill led the ECHL with 45.672 goals saved above average. Second place was Landon bow who had 25.08 goals saved above average. Jay Patterson in third place with 21.3. Michael Hauser, 20.07. And then Brendan is it Com or Coom? What is that? Uh, calm calm yeah. at 16.564 now let's go to goal saved above uh, average per game this is where the the list changes a bit and some guys like uh you know an even Eam, mcadam creeps up a bit um and the first is Lukas hafner riley gill is still in second place even though he had a high volume of games it translated to a per game basis latin bow, michael hauser and yeah it's a it pretty in tune with the save percentage and goal save above average any observations of this list so
1: i was right so i picked out two guys that that was spot on correct see i'm an analytics master you are
0: you're the director of analytics (laughs) i'm now the director of analytics you you have one so you know i think with this you know for example let's just quickly i don't want to do this for everyone but like riley gill why'd you pick him
1: uh, I looked at the shutouts was a big thing. And I remember those Allen teams were pretty offensively charged. So he had to bail them out at times in transition.
0: Very fair. Um, all right. So just from what you see here um, with the names and the ones I kind of read out, is there any shocker? Does anyone creep up that you didn't expect?
1: Um, I, no, I don't think so. These, these, were Those were all pretty much names that I kind of looked at and remembered from that year. Um, you know, you got the CJ Mots of the world, and, um, you know, so, uh, you know, the, not, that didn't surprise
0: me too much. Well, for me personally, um, I thought it was interesting to see Eamon McAdam, um, because if you look at his save percentage, it's like a 916, nothing crazy, um, nothing all that special. But if you look at the goal saved above average, um, it vaults him up in there. And the next year, he did play quite a bit of AHL games. So that's what I always find is interesting is to when you find the guys that, um, Maybe don't show up on raw save percentage, but, um, you know, still delivered and rewarded the next year. Yeah. So let's go to the next year, 2017, 2018. Um, same kind of thing. Who are the guys that you circled that were good that year from your uh, analysis?
1: Yeah, I, I picked Joe Canada of the Colorado Eagles who won the, uh, the Kelly Cup that year. He was 21-5-2, two, 222 goals against, 931 save percentage and two shutouts. And Mitch Gillum of Worcester, uh, who was 14 and two with a two fifteen goals against a nine twenty five save percentage, and he had five shutouts. So Joe Canada and Mitch Gillum were my picks.
0: Okay, interesting. Let's let's show the graphic here. Now here's where it gets interesting. This is, we mentioned this guy off air. Um, well, first, sorry, Pat Nagel, um, long time or a very good ECHL goalie. First place that year with twenty three point five goal save against average. And then next is Thomas Shaw, and um, not to be a spoiler, but he's actually a pretty frequent name over these couple years, and it's funny because this year he had a great year, 947 save percentage, and it carried over. Like He also led it in goal saved above average per game, and I'm pretty sure the following year it's going to be there as well, but any recollections of his impact back in the day?
1: Yeah, I mean, he's one of these guys that I, as I went back through this, I was like, some guys that were consistent over years, like Pat Nagel was one, Michael Hauser was definitely one, and Thomas Shaw, uh, you know, I certainly remember a lot of his work with Idaho, so he was a name that did keep coming up as, it, as, as relevant, and I remember back then, I used to... Um, run a kind of ECHL fantasy league just for fun with some fans that I would give out prizes. And Thomas Shaw was a guy that was picked very often. It was like a, you could change your lineup very weak. So yes, that name speaks to me.
0: And uh, for me, at least, I think it's interesting to see Chris Drieger here for the goal saved um, above average per game. Ranking because the next year, Drieger had a great year with Springfield, Thunderbirds, and the AHL. And that's kind of what propelled, like, he started on the E and then it propelled his career going forward, um, eventually getting an NHL contract. So it was interesting seeing him there. Obviously, a solid, safe percentage in general. But I just, what I find neat about this is when you look at it and it's like the Thomas Shaw guy, right? It's like usually so far, the names you've named, the best guys, are going to be the best guys. Um, with by this metric as well, but the coolest part, and I said it before, I'll say it again, is when you see a Chris Drieger, you see these guys that have a 915 920 whatever. But when you look at how much better they were than the average, it's actually it's quite telling, and it's no coincidence. The next year he moved on. Well, um, and
1: there's a name right there on the screen, Sean Bonner. Um, you know, I don't remember this particular year, but you know, he's a guy that's become very much a journeyman. Uh, One of those guys that you're like, whoa, we just lost two goalies to call-ups and injuries. We need to bring somebody in in a bind. Sean Bonner for a while was like your first call. So it is interesting to see that he would rank fairly highly on on one of your metrics because I don't think people would immediately think of him as one of those guys that would rank particularly well.
0: But he's a good goal in the league, though. He was considered
1: a really good fill-in goalie. Oh, I see. Sorry. Yeah, like sure. he would he would bounce around a lot and be that sort of – now there were some times that he was really good, and maybe it was that season. I don't remember specifically, but he definitely became one of those guys, and I was always like, you know, hey, he's better than you think, and it, it's just nice to see some metric that would show him up highly on the list.
0: One more note I want to make. Uh, it's interesting how much better Thomas Shaw was, um, just like the fact that he put up a 947 – his goal stayed above average 1.13 was much higher than the next person who's at 0.79 very strong season for him but I don't think he ever really got a a shot at the higher levels well he
1: also didn't play that many games right totally you're you're looking at 19 games with Pat Nagel playing 50 so I mean let's let's keep that in mind too
0: that's a good point okay so let's we'll move on to the next one any surprises though from that list or is that pretty much up to stuff
1: well, I mean, as I went down that list a little bit, like I said, when you got to guys like like Bonner and, and maybe it was at AT and Marcoux, I think it was the next season where I had Marcou looking really good. But yeah, let's let's move on. That didn't look too surprising to
0: me. Okay. So twenty nineteen. Um, the next list here is once again, here let's throw it up on the screen. All right. So we're at eighteen nineteen, right? Eighteen no? nineteen, yes. Okay. We'll get that on there. Okay. And
1: um, now, the two guys I picked out that I just, I guess, spoiled myself was Etienne Marcoux. He was with Brampton that year. Now, interestingly, his record was not the greatest, 19 11, and 5 His goals against was not the greatest. He was a 2.58. He had a nine eighteen save percentage. He had four shutouts. But I remember that Brampton team. They were not all that strong defensively, and he bailed them out a ton. The other guy I picked out from that year was Devin Williams of Tulsa. Now, he was a little bit more dominant. He was 29 and four with a 212 goals against. He had a better defense working in front of him 916 save percentage and two shutouts. So, Etienne Marcoux and Devin Williams were my picks from that year.
0: And it would seem like, though, like the Marcoux one at least, like that definitely kind of works with what you're saying because in terms of raw save percentage, he's probably a top 15 top 20 goalie but by this metric he slips into the top 10 and a lot of that comes with him bailing out those guys
1: and Devin Williams was lower because his presumably because the defense in front of him was better so he was not having to make as many of those exactly marquee saves right
0: yeah and that's the one thing where it's like it's like I don't think it's fair to like not not reward but to like punish people for playing in front of good teams um, and that's, that's the biggest flaw with this, right? Because you're, you're kind of, okay. If they, they had a good defense in front of them, whatever they produce won't be as good, but I'm not trying to do that. I think it's just more so showing the ATM coups, right. That are are really building their team out.
1: Well, and, and look, I, I, despite what I say, of course, I don't knock analytics as much as I'm letting on. I just don't understand a lot of them, but mm-hmm. you, you've taken it a step further than what I usually do, which is, When I write stories, you know, I feel like most hockey writers, they go immediately to goals against average. And I try to at least steer past that and get us to the save percentage, because I believe that's a a more basic indicator of the goaltender's worth versus the team's defense. So you're taking it further and developing better stats to say kind of what I am, which is. It's not just about the goaltenders or just about the defense. It's about what the goaltender is doing in that himself.
0: You're right. And also shout out to the Fort Wayne Journal because that copy editors who will have goal saved above average being filed into the desk and they'll say, Cohen, what are you talking about?
1: Uh, well, those editors were giving me a hard time last night about using the word tally uh, in points and they think that's just hockey speak. So I, I think you'll really lose them here.
0: All right. So any surprises from this list at all? I mean, look,
1: there's Sean Bonner high again. So I think that surprises me a little bit. Um, Mason McDonald, that might surprise me a little bit. And Alex Sakharopoulos, um, again, like really strong goalie that I don't think people typically mention amongst the the best, even from that year. And he became a guy that bounced around a little bit too. So those are a couple names that jumped out there.
0: Okay, so this next one I'm really um, excited about for a couple of reasons. Um, I don't think that there's any crazy sort of hot takes here, Um, but we also mentioned we're kind of halfway through here at the end, we'll go through, we'll recap the whole, like who are the best goalies in these last six seasons. Right. So we can kind of look at that for a bit, but this next list of players, who do you have as the best goalies that year
1: for 1920? Um, I, okay, I picked two kind of very different guys. Billy Christopoulos okay. was very good that year. 24-3-3 three and three for Toledo with a um, 2.29 goals against 9.32 save percentage and one shutout. The other guy I picked did not play as many games, but he was really good despite this record. Zach Fukali was in Orlando that year. He was only 10-8-4. But he had 2.36 goals against a 9.28 save percentage and four shutouts. So I liked what he did individually that year, but he was not getting enough help and was just barely over 500.
0: All right, let's put the graphic up. Goals stayed above average per game. Leaders, Billy Christopoulos, Parker Gagan, Zach Sachenko, Logan Thompson, Zach Fucali is your top five. Here's where I find it interesting. Let's look at the top 10. So you have, after that, you have Clint Windsor, Dan Bacala, Cam Johnson, Thomas Shaw, Parker Milner, um, Evan Winger, and uh, yeah, that's that's it for right there. Um, Thompson is on NHL contract right now, obviously. I believe Sawchenko is as well right now. And Clint uh, Clint Windsor was a longtime very good ECHL goalie, was he not?
1: Yes. Zach Fucali went on to play in the NHL for right. a minute. Um Dan Bacala—that's a name that I'm not like. I always felt like he was kind of underrated, so I guess I, I'm happy to see him there. Um Yeah, I mean that's that's a good list there, and you're right. I mean, is this an indicator of the guys who are better, higher level prospects? I'm sure you're you're going to make that argument, but you've got some proof of the pudding right there.
0: Yeah, I think that it's it's certainly it's hard because. There's certainly an argument with, like, there's certainly an argument that this is an indicator of, you know, a good ECHL goalie, but doesn't necessarily correlate. But I feel like if you look at Logan Thompson at that age or Zach Sochenko, like those guys were, but like Thompson was coming out of U Sports, right? And how often do you see U Sports goalies directly become top end ECHL goalies, Justin?
1: Ah, uh, like right, right away, right away. It's happening more and more often. I mean, the last few years, guys like Sam Harvey, uh, Ryland Peronto, um, but you know, not a ton. I'm just saying it's becoming a little bit more often. I didn't totally mean to spoil, didn't mean to spoil your point there.
0: No, no, no. I think it is happening more often. Absolutely, this isn't you know an outlier, but it is definitely interesting that you have a guy coming from the U Sports level to E. In Thompson, who played 32 games, a pretty decent workload, and is in the top five of goals saved above average. And it's no coincidence the next year he's going on and was a top player with Henderson and whatnot. And, you know, it's funny. Like, you even see Cam Johnson creeping up here. Like, there's definitely names here that you see more organized than if you just did it by raw safe percentage. Though I will say, this year, it seems like it's pretty in line with save percentage in general, from what I can see.
1: Uh, yeah, and, and we do have to remember that you also didn't get a full season. So it, and I, I'm just saying it's a little bit. So, you know, we missed the, la- the latter part of the regular season. Probably, so what are we talking? Two months of play when sure. teams would have a, a greater influx of scores because by that point, oh, right. guys Good have point. come back from Europe. You've got the rookies coming in. I'm not, I just think it would change it just a, a tiny bit, just a tiny bit. Not a, Not much. Cause It was March 12th,
0: okay. So, any surprises with this one?
1: I, uh, you know, I would not, I don't even remember Sawchenko from that year. Uh, really, yeah, not just, I mean, look, he played 13 games. Oh, that's um, true, that's true. Uh, Clint Windsor, uh, I, I guess I just don't remember him from that year, but but no, I mean, I will say so far, you haven't given me a lot of surprises. What you're giving me is evidence to further support who are the the good goalies. okay
0: hey, I'll take it um okay so the next one the 2020 season before we show this one let's give some context like you would know this better than I the COVID year how much do you think it changed the quality of play and just kind of any number we're about to see here what should we know uh, well
1: you know I, I, that's a good question um you know, the league was a lot smaller. Yep. I, I forget. I think it was 17 teams or 14 teams participated. Um, but 14? Was it only 14? I, I can't remember offhand. I can't okay. believe I can't remember. It might have been set. I think 12 teams opted out. So maybe right. it was maybe it was 15 teams played. Um, I thought the offense that year was really good. I really do. I mean, some Fort Wayne fans would disagree with me, in, but because they saw Wheeling and Indy all the time but you were playing the same teams over and over and over again. And those shooters would get used to certain goalies, but the goalies would also get used to the shooters. So who was the advantage? But my personal recollection was, I thought the offense became very strong that season in the level of play, Uh, but it was just, everybody knew everybody else so well. So I don't know how that's going to affect
0: your stats. I really don't. So who are the guys that you had circled?
1: Uh, for 2021. I picked out Jake Hildebrand of Florida, who was 23-10 and five with a 2.4 goals against 923 save percentage and two shutouts. And Evan Weniger of Wichita, who was 16, 10, and 4 with a 274 goals against his defense was not supporting him. A 923 save percentage and again one shutout.
0: Um, all right. This is the list. How do you pronounce, I we've said it so many times, I'm kicking myself right now of the table, Evan Bootenhouse? <laughs> I believe it's Beitenheis. Heiss Yes. Okay. Oh, sorry, Evan. Um, okay, so Evan Beitenheis first with 0.67. Oops, just deleted that. Uh, goal stayed above average per game. Next is Jake Patterson with 0.58. Then Parker Gaggin with 0.53. And then it goes into the guys that you listed, Evan Winninger with 0.51. Jake Hildebrand was 0.45 and just under them, Hunter Shepard reigning Calder cup champion this year had a strong year and he had a 0. 0.40 goal saved above average per game thoughts.
1: First of all, you need to apologize to Parker know,
0: Before every the... show, if, if you got me doing data, I get an excuse for the pronunciation. Yes,
1: you totally get an excuse on this one, but I will um, say
0: I apologize because I hate when people mispronounce my last name. So my bad on that one. <laughs>
1: um, I mean, look, this is gonna be a little bit of Fort Wayne coming out here, but something that's very interesting here is Robbie Badoon. Now, Robbie Baidoon was a rookie who came onto the scene and he looked unreal. And then he got injured the last week of the regular season. And Fort Wayne didn't know who their goaltender was going to be. And Dylan Ferguson ended up like really improving his play, led them to the Kelly Cup. But Robbie Baidoon was like a flash in the pan star for a, a couple of weeks in Fort Wayne and in the ECHL. So it is interesting that the metric would, would have them that high there.
0: Absolutely. Um, any surprises of these names? Like are these like, I don't know. I don't recognize too many of them as opposed to previous years. Is that a byproduct of the <sighs> quality competition here?
1: Um, not a ton of surprises. These are a lot of good names. These are, this is like a, a, a cavalcade of great ECHL goaltenders with fight and and Patterson and Hildebrand. Shepard, David Williams, Francis, Francois Marat, Ryan Bednard, a lot of good names here. So, um, you know, I guess Billy Christopoulos was a little bit low on the list. Uh, I think that was the year he was in Indy uh, because he was not an easy goaltender to face that year. So he would be one that stood out as, as maybe being a little bit too low.
0: We have two more. We have the 22 season, um, the 23 season as well. Um, And just, checking in here doing a check-in what are your thoughts on this experiment so far
1: uh i guess i thought you were going to be further off than the guys that i picked i'm 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 pleased to see that the guys that passed my eye test because old grandpa here it's about the eye test are supported by your youngsters metrics
0: i just think it's a better like it doesn't radically change save percentage or anything like that it just r- kind of reorders it like and adds a bit of context if that makes any sense that's just sure. kind of why i like it a bit more sure um so the next one, 21-22 season. Uh, Justin, who are the guys that you circled?
1: I picked out Brad Barone of Orlando. He was 23, 19, and three with a 2.65 goals against. So not great there. 919 save percentage and three shutouts. And Trent Miner of Utah. Again, he didn't get the defensive support. 16, 12, and 0, 272 goals against 910 save percentage, but seven shutouts. So he was an interesting one to me because the goals against isn't great, the save percentage also isn't great, but 7 shutouts, that's great.
0: All right, let's uh okay, this is where we went off the board here. It seems like throw it up, Connor. Okay, so I I can't see Trent Miner um in the <laughs> first bit. Um That somewhere. doesn't
1: it doesn't surprise me, you know, All right.
0: like let's get to the Wait, first let me just read the list. Tyler Parks uh 0.84 goals saved above average. Uh Pat Nagel 0.69 goals saved above average. Anton Bibo 0.68, Keith Petruzelli 0.63, Matt Jurisic 0.62, and
1: uh, Corbett Kaspersky. That's an interesting one because he would have been uh in Iowa that year, I believe.
0: You tell me, man. I think that's the
1: expansion Iowa season when the defense wasn't very good, unless I'm I'm misremembering, but that's uh, yeah, I like to see him there.
0: So we have Hunter Shepard two for another year, kind of at the bottom of the top 10 there as well. Um, Let's find Trent Minor. I mean, well, just... and
1: there's there's Bad Barone. At least I got that one right.
0: You're right. Yeah. I mean, actually, before we fish out Trent Minor, what, any thoughts on this list?
1: Um, you know, I just what what's coming to me now is you see over time, you know, guys like Pat Nagel, yeah. um, you know. Hunter Shepard, Billy Christopoulos. I mean, you. it's not that this is, is earth-shattering, but it's good to see those guys are held up in the metrics because these are the guys that we've known we could trust over a long period of time with multiple teams. Pat Nagel, Fort Wayne, Toledo, Redding throughout this, and he's remained consistently high on your list regardless of the team.
0: Absolutely. Let's see what Trent Miner is. Um, by the way, folks, if you're watching, you'll see that some of the guys have like their name and the team. I got it from Lee Prospect. So it took the logos. Um took the logos and kind of made it into a text. So Trent Meyer's quite low actually. Um, it would appear.
1: Well, and that again, that doesn't surprise me. You know, like his goals against was high and his mm-hmm. save percentage was not good, but I picked him out because seven shutouts, I mean, that's a really high number in any season for an ECHL goaltender. So it seems like that's telling us. On certain nights, he's going to steal you games. But over the long haul in that particular season, he was not at an elite level compared to some of these other guys.
0: For sure. And I will say it's cool seeing Artis Silvos, a uh, young prospect in the Vancouver system, was uh, doing quite well there in 10 games. Like I want to include the 10-game the type people because if we're doing a show about minor league production and we don't reward the guys that are so good in a little size, like within reason, right? We don't give them two games. But if we're not rewarding the players that do so well that they're then recalled, like, what are we doing? Right. Right. So That's kind of what I was thinking with that. Um, I, I mean, you know, what's funny. I think we were expecting to be more surprises. I mean, I guess maybe the minor ones, the first one where we thought you thought i would maybe reward him a bit more.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's definitely the case. I'm interested to see what we do on last season, because I, yeah. I obviously that was fresher in my mind. Yeah. So I picked Adam Scheele who in my opinion, who who got my vote for goaltender of the year. He was with Idaho, 28-8-1, a 1.97 goals against, a 9.32 save percentage and five shutouts. But let's remember, Idaho had the best defense in the history of the league. So how much did that maybe bail him out? The other guy I went with was Sebastian Kosa of Toledo, even Mm -hmm. though John Letheman, his teammate, won goaltender of the year. But I felt over the the long haul, Kosa was a little bit better to me. 26, 16, and four, a 956 goals against a 913 save percentage and four shutouts. Anything you tell me about COSA isn't gonna shock me. You told me he was at the top of the list, but you could also argue he was kind of inconsistent early in the season. So it wouldn't shock me if he was middle of the row. But I have a feeling he'll be pretty high up.
0: Okay. So let's show the list. Now, this one, to me, Strauss Mann is number one. And it's interesting because I do know from a couple of sources that he was – so he was on ELC last year, right? And then sounds he didn't retain him. But this year, Laval played some big money for him to be a goaltender this year. I can tell you in the AHL. I'm talking pretty high-end, uh, not elite numbers, but like pretty standard AHL starter money um, for Strauss Mann. He's at the top here. Pavel uh, Ga- uh, Gajan? Gajun? I think it's
1: I think it's Kaijin. Kaijin. Ugh. I don't know that one. I could be wrong. on. Okay. Sorry.
0: Sorry. Sorry, Pavel. Pavel. Sorry, Pavel. Um, at zero point nine three, Adam Shield at zero point seven eight, Tyler Parks zero point seven one, Remy Poirier zero point six eight, and then a couple other familiar names. Cosa's uh, more in like the the twenty ish ish range um, yeah. around here. Not like you know. It's funny if we checked. Like the second half of the year was such a was such a difference for him. Oh, absolutely. So I mean, if, it's kind of tough. Like I wonder because also, didn't we talk about like didn't the the, the Toledo stop letting so many shots in the second half too? Yeah, hundred percent. Once so, it turned
1: into January, they became impenetrable. But before that, it was real. Uh, the, yeah. the defense was not playing well.
0: So yeah, that that'll obviously affect um, the list there. Any surprises? Uh,
1: well, I I was, I guess I've. Part of me thought that Shield and Poirier might be a little bit lower because the defense in front of them was just so good. But I guess this is telling us that, you know, no, they were every bit as good as that. Um, what about stress, I, man? Yeah, really? I mean, again, 13 games, you know, that I understand. I like that the metric is there, but, you know, I didn't see him play much. You know, it, mm-hmm. was, it was very early in the year, as I recall. So, um, you know, Isaiah Seville, He's a little bit higher than I would have maybe thought. Um, I think Michael DiPietro is a little bit lower than I would have thought. Luke Cavillan, maybe a little bit lower than I would have thought. Mm-hmm. But, you know, overall, I feel that this supported shield uh, being up there high. But I, I'm a little surprised that that coach is still
0: that low. And before we move on, let's pull up the entire. So every um Season here. Here are the best goals saved above average. All the names we kind of listed the best ones dating back to 2016-17. Uh, Thomas Shaw with the best season. And listen, you're right. There's could be problematic here because of the 10 games. I think if I were to do this again, um, I'd maybe look at maybe a higher games played um, just to see if there if there's if I'm if that is a better way to measure it without excluding too many good players. So be it. But so yeah. these yeah,
1: this is the top seasons though. This is yes. not. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Top seasons. Out of curiosity, do you have it that you could show us all of like what their, what their metric would be for the entire, you know, last five seasons or something
0: or that you don't have that. Um, like like the
1: total, the total.
0: Right at this moment, I do not. I'm okay. definitely okay. down to revisit okay. that as we, um, Okay. Go forward. And so then, just yes. one
1: last thing. Like, so I, I did pick up some names that these were the guys that I'm like, you know, over time for me, I was like, these are the goalies that I expect would show up if you were to sort that list of the future. Sure. Like consistency over time. Pat Nagel. Okay. Did it with three teams. Michael Hauser did it with with Cincinnati, Fort Wayne, Parker, Milner, uh, multiple teams, Evan Beitenheis, Thomas Scholl, Kevin Carr, uh, who was with Utah among other teams? Lefman, uh played with Greenville and Toledo. Logan Thompson, you mentioned. Garrett Sparks was the other guy that I would have expected to see over time with uh, Orlando in
0: particular. Interesting. So um, that's it for the that experiment. So let's stop sharing that uh, that screen. Thank you, Connor. Um, we one closing thing on this. I think if we were to do this again, my next goal would be to check. Um, an age bracket. So under 25 goalies, maybe. And you think under 25 is a better one? Cause I think you can't go like under 23. That's silly in this league. I don't know if I'm about under 26. What, yeah. How, I, what number I, for younger I was, goalies? I
1: was going to say 26. Okay. I mean, we know goalies mature a little bit later, but you, I think you want to account for the guys coming out of college, even You're Canadian right. college who are going to be older. So I, I wouldn't even bat an eye if you took it to 28, frankly. Uh, but, but 26, I think if, if you're trying to really get those young, yeah, that's what I want to
0: narrow it down. So that's something we can look at because, um, it's just cool. Like, I think that we always talk about how the ECHL is like the, the goalie league for development long has obviously it's more than that, but it's like, okay, that's the case, but let's see like, what metric can we kind of gauge? Because next year, as we go on, you know, if we find this to be useful in some way, when the next goalie prospects there, whatever may be, to kind of see how they're doing, it gives a good reference point, right? So yeah. I think that was cool. Hopefully I didn't bore you too much, Justin. No, um, not at
1: all. I feel vindicated because you've told me that my eyes are just as good as your numbers.
0: Exactly. You're the director of analytics. Um, all right. Well, before we end this goalie special, there's a little bit of news you want to get to with the fighting rules um, that have been altered a bit in ECHL to be more like the NHL and AHL, Justin.
1: Yeah. So, you know, a few of the rules changes that they announced this week, Makes some sense uh, because they're getting more in line with what they do at the higher levels. Offsides, for instance, uh, is now not just where the skate is on the ice, but we are accounting for if the skate is above the ice, there is now a plane at the blue line, a, a invisible plane, and that is how they call things. So if the puck is crossing the blue line, you your skate is not physically on the ice but is hovering overward, overhead then um, now you can be onside which I think most people are more used to seeing uh, some other things that they changed the faceoffs. you can now no longer sweep the puck back with your hand I didn't realize that this was actually happening all that often but apparently it was all right so one great change that they did make I actually saw a playoff series almost get decided by this if your bucket comes off during play you now do not necessarily have to immediately leave the ice. If you immediately grab your helmet, put it back on, then you can continue playing even if the chin strap is not going. So uh, you lose your helmet, you either got to leave the ice or immediately put it back on, or it's a penalty. Now we get into fighting, though. Mm -hmm. They have made some changes that, in my opinion, are going to further curtail fighting in this league, almost to a point where... I'm not sure what we're doing anymore. Uh, A automatic game misconduct will now be applied to any player who gets a second fighting major in a game. The only way this is waived is if the opposing player has instigated the fight and gets a penalty for it. Uh, Me and a few other reporters have looked this up. We've seen very few cases in which a player is fighting multiple times in the same game. But if it is happening, uh, I don't see the huge problem with it. Fighting prior to or at the drop of the puck, this is a big one. If a player or player starts fighting before the puck is dropped, right when the puck is dropped, or immediately following the faceoff, they shall get an automatic game misconduct in addition to whatever other penalties are assigned. Mm
0: -hmm. First of
1: all... (laughs) How are we going to define immediately following a faceoff? off That is, seems very much to be a judgment call to me. Uh, that worries me a little bit. But overall, the point is this. The ECHL appears to love fighting and not want fighting all at the same time. They want to be a developmental league. They want to get it more in line with what we're seeing in the NHL and AHL. That's fine. But they need to put butts in the seats at the AA level of hockey, putting butts in the seats is often predicated by the physical play that we see. I'm not sure why we're continuing to curtail fighting something that's been going on for now two decades. It was not that long ago that they started uh, suspending players who get their 10th fight in a season. Yes. That has seemed to curtail the amount of fighting, but I, I, I don't know. I just, we're taking it out of the game to a point that I'm starting to get uncomfortable with. What do you think?
0: I think if you want, it to be development league you have to make it so that you don't have guys going down there scared they're gonna get run over and whatever it may be you're gonna say you have an enforcer it. Or I, I just think that like if you want it to be a, a, a development pipeline if you look at ma- major league baseball the double a affiliate are the rules so, so different than the triple a one
1: here's the difference in baseball a higher number of players in the double level are actually going to ascend to the NHL. Let's call it spade a spade. How many of these guys are really going to end up being in the NHL?
0: You're right, but I think that what you're trying to see now is that they want it to be the same way that you're seeing now. Like, okay, so for example, right now, there's a couple teams entering the NHL with three goalies, Right. They're going to have like Pittsburgh signed like three guys. They have Smith, Jari, Nadelevic. Calgary's got Vladar, Markstrom, and Dustin Wolf. There's going to be a trend where Dustin Wolf, for example, is going to maybe come in and play 10, 15 games next year as opposed to staying in the minors and doing, you know, either the minors or 20 games, right? That middle ground. I think a similar analogy is there's an evolution where you want to take a guy that's a good overager, maybe can't play AHL games. Okay, let's send him to the E, get him to dominate or whatever, and then come back up. For AHL teams and NHL teams to trust that they have to have a good infrastructure in place, and I think that the sort of goonery, for lack of a better word, is not desirable by that model.
1: Okay, well, I understand the point, and I'm not by any stretch of the imagination saying the UCHL shouldn't consider itself a developmental league, but we should not weed out things that a significant portion of the fans want to see. That's a fair point. Just to benefit a minuscule number of players. Now you're using goaltenders as the example. Goaltenders are by far where we see the highest percentage of legitimate prospects in this league. The biggest moment that we may have seen in the entire league last season was an NHL prospect goaltender fighting. Ryan Fanty getting into a goalie fight. So <laughs> right. I'm not sure personally that I see fighting as the problem here. Now you use the word goodery. I would argue the more of these rules that you make it to rid the game of fighting, all you're doing is making it less safe on the ice because you are eliminating the mechanism by which players have policed themselves for generations. And now you're putting it in the hand of officials that I'm sorry, we do not have, have the level of trust in. So All right,
0: I this see is that what I,
1: through the, this, I mean, through my career, when I started in 1997, there was still an old school mentality. If you hit a guy from behind, you were going to have to answer for it. Not by the officials, not by the league, by the players on the ice. Now, of course, there were unsafe things going on that we needed to rid them uh, ourselves of, but we've lost that policing system. And that bothers me. And now I see it all the time at this level because players can't control themselves. They don't have the skills to control themselves. So sometimes guys are getting hit from behind guys are getting run. Guys are trying to fight during warmups. And now all of the adjudication is in the hands of the league office. Now I'm sure they would say that's the way we want it. And that's the way the game is going. And that's true, but we do have to balance it a little bit with having what I would call hockey plays and also getting butts in the seats <laughs> you know and That's all these fair. all these teams what do they do you know big fight they're putting it out on social media look what happened but yeah. then we're not going to enable them to have that to happen fair. so no, no i i'm not saying i want the goonery i'm not saying i want all sorts of fights i totally get it but in some cases i feel like i don't know we're just tossing guys out out of games or tossing guys out of leagues for fighting but then we're allowing Mikhail Robidoux to run guys every night and we're allowing that to happen. So yep.
0: what, are, what are we doing here? Fair point. Um, fair point indeed. All right. Well, that wraps up today's show. I think we're gonna take a bit of a break uh, over the next little bit, but we'll be back uh, at some point this summer for sure. Thank you to everyone for listening today, every episode of the week. Appreciate the comments we've been getting. Uh, it's been pretty overwhelming. A lot of the uh, feedback from you listeners. And yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a pleasure. I heard I heard
1: from a lot of people about our uh, our our Jersey episode or episode, yes. our, our nickname episode. And apparently a lot of people, they like to listen to us while they're mowing their lawns. And okay. before we go, I just want to show you one thing because I forgot to mention it last week. So we were talking about the Greenville growl. I forgot to mention my second favorite hockey name of all time okay. was also from the ECHL. It was the Augusta Lynx. Ooh. okay. Now, if you I tell like me that. you don't get that name, do I'm you get terrible. the name? The Augusta Lynx? I don't.
0: Embarrass me some more. <sighs> oh okay. God. Should have ended the show Okay, what's time. in Augusta, Georgia? What famous Okay, yes, I get it. Li- okay, yes, Lynx. But isn't it spelled yes. L is it not spelled L Y N X?
1: Yes! That's why okay. it's so cool.
0: All right, it's, fair. it's we
1: we got we got the cat, right? Yep. We got the Lynx, yeah, but it's playing off the Masters brilliant so this is by the way their third jersey at some point it's got a big paw i'm not telling you it's a particularly good looking jersey but that logo was great
0: nothing like getting off the season one with some embarrassment for jacob nothing's new um all right well that's actually a sick jersey thank you so much maybe season one of the or episode one of the next one we'll go into justin's closet of minor league uh dress up attire but uh until next time folks we'll sign off here and thank you so much for listening